If you'll turn in your Bibles to Genesis, the third chapter. Last week I spoke to you about Adam being created to lead. And I wondered where we would head next with this. And I'm still in the book of Genesis. And as I continue to study, I, I realize this is where we're headed. <laughs> Adam was created to lead. And then after the fall, he was cursed to lead. <laughs> so created to lead and then cursed to lead, as we'll see in Genesis, the third chapter, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And Adam said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. As we've looked at this series on ladies and gentlemen, godly ladies and godly gentlemen, as I said a couple weeks ago, it's important probably that we look at the first man and understand what purpose God created him for and what he did with his purpose. And then, as we see today, how he was cursed because he failed to do what he was created to do. And I know that this ties in a lot to husbands and wives, but we, we obviously can't overlook that because there's a lot of married people in the world, right? So there's people that aren't married and there's people that may be married one day, but it's very important. Listen to this old poem that I dug out from the 1800s by Mary Lathrop. And the title of this poem is A Woman's Answer to a Man's Question. It was written in reply to a man's poetic unfolding of what he conceived to be a woman's duty. Now, this is what Mary Lathrop wrote in the 1800s, and remember some of the terminology is from that time frame. Do you know you have asked for the costliest thing ever made by the hand above, a woman's heart and a woman's life and a woman's wonderful love? Do you know you have asked for this priceless thing as a child might ask for a toy? demanding what others have died to win with the reckless dash of a boy. You have written my lesson of duty out, manlike, you have questioned me. Now stand at the bar of my woman's soul until I shall question thee. You require your mutton shall always be hot, your socks and your shirt be whole. I require your heart to be true as God's stars and as pure as heaven your soul. You require a cook for your mutton and beef. Obviously, mutton was a pretty popular dish back in those days. You require a cook for your mutton and beef. I require a far better thing. A seamstress you're wanting for socks and shirts. I look for a man and a king. A king for the beautiful realm called home. And a man that the maker God shall look upon as he did the first and say, it is very good. I am fair and young, but the rose will fade from my soft young cheek one day. Will you love me then mid the falling leaves as you did mid the bloom of May? Is your heart an ocean so strong and deep I may launch my all on its tide? A loving woman finds heaven or hell on the day she is made a bride. Are you listening, young ladies? I require all things that are grand and true, all things that a man should be. If you give all this, I would stake my life to be all you demand of me. If you cannot do this, a laundress and cook, you can hire with little to pay. 
But a woman's heart and a woman's life are not to be won that way. What amazing words from the poem writer in the 1800s and how true that is and how it points us back to the purpose for which Adam was created. He was created to lead. And I think you'll find it very interesting what we read here and when it comes to the curses that was placed upon the serpent, the woman, and the man after the fall in the Garden of Eden. Now remember, there is no question. There can be, if you believe the book of Genesis and you believe it's the inspired word of God, there can be no question for what purpose Adam was created. God told him to have dominion and subdue the earth. And it was very easy in those days because there was no sin and all of the animals, they were not meat eaters, they were vegetable eaters. So it wasn't like the dinosaurs were running around trying to devour Adam. He had control over them. Wouldn't that be wonderful, guys, when we went hunting, if we had a control over that 10 point? <laughs> Come here a little bit closer. I need to get a better shot. <laughs> Come here. That doesn't work that way. You better be quiet whenever that animal comes out now because there's no dominion anymore. God provided food. He provided protection. He only gave Adam one rule. Thou shalt not eat of the uh, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He, had, he gave Adam free will. He gave Adam worship and rest, you know, the Sabbath. And best of all, he gave Adam a helpmeet, the Azer Kenegdo, which is the Hebrew combination word, the indispensable companion, the essential counterpart, the corresponding strength. The mechanical translation, if you will remember, is a helper as his opposite, to be his other half, like him, but with opposite attributes. She even looked different. <laughs> you know, Man has short hair, woman has long hair. You know, there's just these opposite attributes of man and woman. That's how God created. She was not designed to be exactly like Adam, but kind of his mirror opposite. He did not look upon her and see himself in the sense of she looks just like me, but he looked upon her and saw that she was everything that he needed. That's why he said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. She had the other half of the qualities, responsibilities, and attributes that Adam lacked, which is a real mystery now when you think about it because God created man. You know, some people say, well, he didn't quite get it right with man, but he got it right with woman. <laughs> you men should have amen that. <laughs> you should have amen right there. You had a great opportunity. You get some points. But it wasn't that God messed up with Adam and then he, oh, well, I'll reactionary make woman. He planned to do that. You see, that's part of God's creation. He planned to take woman from the rib of Adam and make her. He planned to do all that. Now, the trouble comes along, as you know, we talked about that last week. Where was Adam whenever Eve is over there conversing with the serpent? And remember, the serpent most likely, is, it either happened this one of a couple ways, maybe more, but one of at least a couple ways. You know, maybe the serpent was the anointed cherub. Maybe it was that God put in the garden to, as a security guard, the anointed cherub that chose to become Satan, the adversary. Maybe that's how it happened. Maybe it was the creature. I don't know. Or maybe this snake was Eve's favorite of the animals and the most beautiful of the creatures. They had dominion, remember? The snake would not bite her at that point. But you know, when, the, when this snake started talking, don't you know some antennas should have raised up with Adam? You know, it's only Adam and Eve talking and God talking to each other. 
But then snakes start stalking. Hath God said you can eat of, uh, you can't eat of the fruit, you know, in the garden? I, I, that would raise my antenna when an animal started talking. Of course, you understand everything was new, everything was fresh, the glory of God was fresh upon the world. So maybe it just didn't stun them. They didn't even know what danger was. But still, it's a little strange. So where is Adam? You, you can see that Adam was right there. He was with her. He was not intervening. He was not doing what he was supposed to do. We looked at 1 Timothy 2, where it says in verse 13, For Adam was first formed than Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, we didn't read verse 15 last week, Notwithstanding she, the woman, shall be saved in childbearing, if they, the children, continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. That ties in directly to the curse. That ties in directly to Genesis, the third chapter, where the Lord speaks to Eve and delivers the curse to her. Okay, we'll get there in just a minute. Remember, Adam was not deceived. I just wonder, was he just playing around? I'm going to see what happens here. Well, he was playing around with their lives. You get that? Because God had said in the day that you eat of the fruit, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt surely die. In my mind, I would be thinking the instant I take a bite of that fruit, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. But the mercy of God was much deeper than that. As C.S. Lewis said, they didn't understand the full import of the deep magic. <laughs> and it was something greater than magic. It's the glory of God. What did Adam fail in doing right there? How did he fail in leading? He failed to communicate. Do you get that? And is that not one of the time-worn issues that comes up between men and women, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, you know, friends and friends? A failure to communicate. How did he fail to communicate? First of all, he let the serpent talk to her in verse 1. And it's weird that this animal is talking. <laughs> now, in verse 3, notice he says, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's Eve telling the serpent, you know, oh, we can eat of all the fruit except for this one. We can't even touch it. Is that actually what God said? So it appears that Adam has miscommunicated to Eve the actual command. He didn't say you couldn't touch it. Now, that was not to recommend go and touch it, but he didn't say you couldn't touch it. So Adam has failed to communicate the proper command of God to his wife. You see, we can't even touch it. God didn't say that. God said, don't eat of it. He also failed to address the first lie. Satan says, you shall not surely die. <laughs> That's the first lie. Why did Adam say, not say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. That's not what God said. God said, we shall surely die. You see, the failure to lead was found in the failure to communicate. You get that? He failed to address the first lie. He did not refuse the fruit. He sits there and he watches Eve, which was terrible, while she eats. And maybe in his mind he was thinking, well, she didn't die. <laughs> so then she offers it to him. He should have said, no. Why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. He should have already stopped her. He could have stopped this thing at any moment. <laughs> he failed to address the first lie. He did not refuse the fruit. And then after he ate, what did he do? He didn't come clean. He didn't communicate his sin to God. He didn't even communicate his sin to her. Instead, he tries to hide themselves. You see, they, they sewed fig leaves together. They realized that they were naked. They realized that they didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> in, in the purity and the glory of creation... There was not even an embarrassment when it came to their nakedness. We think about that, and we've joked before and said, you know, when I've spoken on moderation and moderation in dress and all, you know, we'll have a bikini and Speedo Sunday. I always kind of go back to that. You know, everybody goes, oh, that's a horrors, horrors, you know. <laughs> well, in creation, 
They, they didn't even think about the fact that they didn't have any clothes on. But when they sinned, when sin came into their bodies, when Adam sinned, he said, I don't have any clothes on. I, I feel naked and ashamed. And so he hides themselves and they sow fig leaves, which are nothing. Fig leaves will dry up just like that and they don't cover. They don't, they're not adequate clothing. So he hides. Job said in Job 31 and 33, Job's the oldest book of the Bible. It's older than Genesis because it was written before Genesis. And Job said, if I have covered my transgression as Adam by hiding mine iniquity in my bosom... <laughs> Not only did Adam hide himself and not communicate that we have sinned and tried to cover up his shame, he also hid his sin in his heart. You get that? Listen, there's a proverb that says, he that confesseth his iniquity, he that confesses it and, and repents shall receive mercy. You see? Oh, listen, I don't care what age you are. It, confess your sins. You know, confess it to the Lord, of course. Don't hide it in your bosom and think, nobody saw that. Nobody, get, nobody will. I can get away with this. Adam thought the same thing. That thought that you have when you think you can get away with it and you, you, there's just no reason to confess it, that thought comes from Adam because in his heart, he thought he could hide it. <laughs> and of course, we see in verse 12, the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Now, everything's been, everything's been pretty good up to the point that the serpent tempts Eve and then she eats the fruit. And now, you know, they're hiding and they're trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves. And then they come before God. God says, where are you, Adam? He knows where he is. Adam comes forth from hiding among the bushes and the trees and he's standing there before God and the serpent is there and Eve is there. And you know, they're thinking we're dead. They're thinking we're dead because in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And God says, have you eaten of the fruit of the tree that I commanded you not to eat? And Adam says, it's her fault. <laughs> is that a failure to communicate or what? He blames it on his wife. It's her fault. And men have been blaming things on their wives ever since. Now, maybe there are times when she is blameworthy, okay? <laughs> That's not the point. The point is, he should have said, you put me in charge. It's my fault that this didn't work out. Please don't do anything to her. Please don't lay any blame on her. This is me. I'm the one that you put in charge to handle this before you even created her. <laughs> but he says, the woman you gave me is her fault. <laughs> he hadn't come clean yet, has he? The man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Failure to lead. And the Lord God said unto the woman, now bless her heart, she was honest. She was honest. The Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. See, she knew what had happened. She was deceived. See, she already knew at that point. I've been deceived. Eve was deceived. At least she told the truth. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, the first curse goes to the serpent. Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now look, it's believed that the, the snake, at least this brand of snake, used to have legs. And the Lord just took his legs off, and now he's, he's, uh, he's slithering around on the ground. Can you imagine how, you just think about it right now, if God took your arms and legs off and you had to slither around on the ground. That's nasty, isn't it? <laughs> if you had to lay down on the ground and wiggle yourself around, 
I mean, that would be a blow, would it not? I don't know how tall the snake was, but this was a curse. He's going to eat dust for the rest of his life. You want to know why snakes slither around? It's because God took their legs off. He's cursed to slither, to eat dust. And then not only that, now this is, this is not necessarily toward the animal or the creature, you know, the reptile, the snake. This is, this is more towards the devil himself, Satan. He says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That means there will be a fight going on here. And notice what he says. Enmity not only between thee and the woman, Eve, and womankind, but enmity or hostility between thy seed and her seed. Now, this is not teaching eternal two-seedism, which means, you know, the devil's got children and God's got children. Jesus cleared all that up in the book of John when he looked at the Pharisees and he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you shall do. He was a murderer from the beginning. You see, Jesus doesn't mean that Satan bears children. He means that those people that lie and murder and act like the Pharisees, the legalistic Pharisees are, acting just like their first father, which was the devil. So he says there will be enmity or hostility between your seed and her seed. And everybody, from a biological standpoint, you know the woman doesn't have the seed. The man has the seed. So this is the first prophecy of the Son of God. How do we know that? It says... It shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman shall bruise the serpent's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. That one day the Virgin Mary would have a son, and the father of that son would be the Holy Ghost. Jesus would come in the flesh, and that is what would bruise the head of the serpent. But notice it says that the serpent would bruise his heel. You ever had a, a bruise on your heel? <laughs> You know, I've run for years, tried to get back into a little bit of running, do more of the elliptical now since uh, surgery. But, you know, there's been a time or two when I've got a rock in my shoe or I've had something going on with an ankle or a, or a heel or something. And it's, you just can't run. But that is the only attack that Satan could mount was just to bruise the heel of the Son of God. But the Son of God is going to bruise his head. You can almost think about when the Lord stepped on the head of the serpent, like that serpent in his death throes, just biting at the heel of the Lord. <laughs> that's basically what you got when the Lord comes. Now, that's the curse on Satan. Here's the curse to the woman. Now listen carefully. Unto the woman, he said, verse 16, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Matthew Henry commentary, I liked what he said, that had we known no guilt, we should have known no grief. See, they, they made mankind guilty. Adam's sin made mankind guilty. And now grief is coming because of guilt. Is that not the case? <laughs> Notice that the Lord said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Some of the translations say that, that it, it's together, that I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. But notice how the sorrow is tied to conception or pregnancy. The word sorrow right there means worrisomeness. The root of the word is to fabricate or to fashion. And this is not just a curse on the women. Think about how many things we worry about, especially things that never come to pass. Right. You think about that? I come from a, a great line, at least skipped a generation of a mom, but I come from, my dad was a pretty bad worrier too. <laughs> But my grandmother, Springer, was quite the worrier. She would worry about worry, you know? I mean, she just worried about all kinds of things. She would get worried over everything. This, that, the other. And then 
99% of those things that she worried about never came to pass. God rest his soul, my dad was a lot like that. He was the gloom and doom side, you know, Brother Jim, the dream killer. And then mom over here was the positive side, you know, no, we can do this, it'll work out. We can make that payment, we can do. But dad was, he was sort of, I don't know if it's gonna work, you know. And by the grace of God, 99% of the time it always did and the stuff that he worried about never really you know, came to pass. We're worriers, are we not? Let me tell you something that you don't have to worry about. You don't have to worry about the promises of God. The Lord's coming back. The Lord's going to settle down every issue that's ever come up. You don't have to worry about the promise. You don't have to fret and think, am I saved? Oh my goodness, you know, did he really mean it when he chose me? You don't have to worry about those promises. That's where doubts and fears come in. And the promises of God bring you back to the truth of God. You see? The curse to Eve was she would have sorrow multiplied with her conception. Now, John Gill wrote this, and I like this. Gill says, Thy sorrow of thy conception takes in all the griefs and sorrows, disorders and pains from the time of conception or pregnancy unto birth, such as nausea, loathing food, dizziness, pains in the head and teeth, faintings and swoonings, danger of miscarriage, and many distresses. You know, when a woman is expecting, it's sort of a tenuous time. It's a, it's a dangerous time. There's so many different things that could happen. You know, by the grace of God, we only endured one miscarriage. I know people that have endured miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. Praise God, we only endured one. But it's a dangerous time. You think, is everything going to go well? I mean, it's an exciting time too. Now, a lot of women, that goes right along the line with this curse, a lot of women will suffer from what's known as postpartum depression after a child is born. I can never identify with that. But I'm going to tell you about one in just a minute that can. I can never identify with that because I've never been pregnant. (laughs) I've never given birth to a child. But I have seen that happen, and that's a dark, dark place to be. That's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. Now, notice that it's remarked by naturalists who observe nature. (laughs) They say that women bring forth their young with more pain than any other creature or animal. (laughs) That's not putting women in the category of creature or animal. But the naturalist says and observes that the dangers and the risks of a woman having a baby are far greater than what you see out in the animal world. Think about it. You know, a horse has a colt, and the next thing you know, that colt's up and running around in just a short period of time. A cow has a calf, you know, and it's, a, you know, good gracious, I told you about our cat having, what was it, seven kittens, and every one of them lived? I was astonished. I mean, those things are rugged and tough. But think about all of the scary stuff that goes on when a woman has a baby. I'll never forget when sweet little Madison was born. We were living in Nashville. And we went in on a Sunday night, and this was probably some kind of prophetical foreshadowing because there was a tornado in Nashville on Sunday night that we went into the hospital, had to go into the hallway. That was a little unnerving. You're already there to have a baby, and here comes a tornado, and they're rushing you in the hallway. So Sister Tracy was there from Sunday night until Monday afternoon, and Sister Madison, she's not come yet. And so, uh, you know, we're all excited and we're, you know, everything's going to go fine. Well, then the doctor comes in and says, oh, we got to take the baby. We got to do this by cesarean. And I probably haven't, you know, manned up very much in my life. (laughs) But part of me wanted to run out in the hallway and jump up in the arms of my grandmothers and my mother and my dad. Help me, help me, you know. I I tell you, you know, and I thought, you know, I got to man up. (laughs) It's my wife they're fixing to do surgery on. She could die. (laughs) 
it was very horrifying. And I'm thinking, I got, I've got to either be tough here and just, you know, go forward or I just got to go lose it. <laughs> well, thank goodness I chose to try to be tough and just go on with it. But I was terrified. This is scary. What if she dies? And the first thought that came to my mind, a hundred years ago, before they were able to do this, she's dead and the baby's dead. <laughs> and I'm a widower. That's something that came in my mind. I think, praise God for modern medicine, you know. But that, that was a terrible... And that was me. I'm not the one that's having surgery. It's, she's having surgery. That's a terrifying thing. Think about it. You ever been to the graveyard and looked at, in the late 1800s and early 1900s? Go to Zion. I'll show you some. I've walked around and looked. Baby after baby after baby that died. And even mothers that died giving birth to their children. This is a scary thing. <laughs> but it's a glorious thing too. <laughs> You know, the word that is used there for conception is the word travail. And all throughout the scripture, you sisters listen up, especially those of you that have had babies or maybe one day will have babies. You say, well, there's nobody that can identify with me what I go through. The Lord Jesus Christ can. Travail is used all throughout the scripture when it speaks of times of great distress. It speaks of a woman in travail when she's having that baby. It speaks of like a woman in travail, the judgment of God would come or this, that, or the other. It speaks about dire and distressful situations as being a woman in travail. Isaiah, the 53rd chapter and the 11th verse says that he shall look upon the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. So if you think there's nobody that can identify with the travail of having a baby, I'll tell you when the Lord Jesus Christ was on the cross, in a sense, He was birthing the children of God by paying for their sins. And there's no travail that has ever come upon anyone like the travail of soul that came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Y'all hear me? Don't ever get in a place and think, whether it's postpartum depression or whether it's some type of depression or loneliness or grief, don't ever think there's no one that can identify with me because nobody has suffered like the Lord Jesus Christ had. You see? And difficult circumstances are described in the Word of God as a woman in travail. Notice he says, part of your curse would be that your desire shall be to thy husband. That's interesting, isn't it? This is conjecture, okay? But perhaps... That Eve, in some form or another, was desiring to be something more than what she was. You know, as he says, now your curse is going to be your desire shall be to your husband. Maybe she had desires to be something more than what she had actually been created to be. Maybe she desired to be above Adam. You see, that where it says, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. That's part of her sorrow, in a sense, because her worrisomeness not only would have to do with having children and the dangers that go with that, but also her focus would be on him, worrying over him. And it's interesting that part of Adam's curse was that he would be worried about making a living. Is that not the case? Men, and especially husbands, spend their time, they have to, making a living, and yet at the same time they've got to balance that between making a living and also tending to the needs of the family. See? Here's some interesting commentaries that I want to share with you. The Adam Clark commentary says, though at their creation both were formed with equal rights and the woman had probably as much right to rule as the man. It's interesting, isn't it? That in, in the purity of creation, God didn't just say, well, you're going to be under him. There's, it's a possibility that God created them in such an equal manner that they were to have dominion and subdue together, walking hand in hand. I've told y'all this before, it's been years ago, but in the Harold and Diane house, <laughs> there was never... 
It, it never, the bell was never even rung about who's in charge. You know, we knew mama was. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that, I'm just kidding. It was never a question. It wasn't like, well, I wonder who's in charge here. They worked so symbiotically together. Amen. I never looked at him and thought, well, you know, boy, he put her in her place or she put him in his place. Never even dawned because they worked together so well. You, didn't, you couldn't see a division of line between them, you see? Now, look, they weren't perfect. They got their moments, you know, when we were getting up cows. Mom, we can tell you all about that. Everybody has their moments. But in general, you know, there was just no division there. Never even had that question, well, I wonder who's in charge. Now, Dad would say, boys, you know, I'm, I'm not henpecked. I've just got hen house ways. <laughs> that was one of Dad's favorite saying. <laughs> and he'd smile and laugh when he told that. But it's very likely that in the garden here we see that they were created in such an equal manner that her, she was cursed that her desire would be towards him and he would rule over her. That was part of the curse. Before that, they were ruling and subduing equally. You see that? That's something that kind of that I caught on to as I was studying this. There was a shift in the curse. She was doomed by the curse as a wife and a mother to suffer pain of body and distress of mind. Now, but observe how the mercy of God is mixed with the wrath and judgment of God in this sentence. The woman would have sorrow, but the sorrow would be forgotten when a, for the joy of when a child was born. That's what Jesus said in John 16. A woman when she is in travail has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. You see? Now the curse of Adam... The Lord said, the ground is cursed, and sorrow you will eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall come forth from the ground, and the sweat of thy face, not of the sweat of thy brow, wiping the sweat off your brow, but in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return into the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and dust thou shalt return. And still the mercy of God endured in the curse. He clothed them. He, he didn't just kick them out stark naked with no covering. He clothed them with animal skins and he drove them out. It means to divorce. God divorced himself from man there because of the sin and Adam's failure to lead. So you know what? He says, okay, big boy, if you're not going to do what I said for you to do, what you were created to do, I'm going to curse you. Now you have to do it. You get that? You're cursed to lead. So what does Adam do in his first act his first words following the curse to lead I think he gets off to a pretty good start verse 20 and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living can y'all get that picture in your mind as we close here he has been judged he's been cursed he's been divorced from God he's being driven out of the garden he's being ashamed of what he did he, he held his sin in his bosom and didn't confess it and here he is standing before God, and there's the woman right next to him, and probably the serpent has already slithered off somewhere. And they're just standing there. I can see them with their heads down and thinking, oh, we've completely failed. And Adam, we, we used to give him a pretty hard time, and, and he deserves a hard time. I can just see him look over at her, maybe takes her hand, and he says, Shavah. Shavah. That's what Eve means. That's how you pronounce it in Hebrew. It means the mother of all living. He could have said, what were you thinking, woman? Are you crazy? You just sent us out of the garden. We can't eat the fruit anymore. Now i got to work all the days of my life. I've got to labor by the sweat. He didn't say the sweat of my brow. He said the sweat of my face. 
What's wrong with you, woman? <laughs> no, he gets off to a pretty good start in his curse to lead. He looks at her and he says, Eve, Eve. <laughs> That's a sweet little word, isn't it? Eve. What a lesson for men in leading. Amen. Speak kindly. Speak carefully. Own up to your faults and your failures. That's the only way that you can lead. <laughs> God not only created man to lead, but after the fall, He cursed man to lead. Brothers, how are we doing? Are we looking and blaming? Or are we looking and just saying words like Eve, mother of all living? I think he got off to a pretty good start. And if you want to get off to a good start in following the Lord, there's no better thing that you can do, Amen. man, woman, or child, than to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism. We give it opportunity as we stand and sing.